Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 49 of the Lawyerist podcast, in which we talk to our friend and longtime Lawyerist contributor, Karin Conroy, about website design. First, thank you so much to those of you who have already made a contribution to the podcast this year. It's awesome to know that you value the time and effort we put into this show, but we still need some help from the rest of you. Our sponsors only cover part of the cost of producing this podcast, so we are asking you to support it by making a contribution. You already pay 99 cents for a song on iTunes or Amazon. If you think this podcast is worth 99 cents, visit lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast. You can pay for one episode or 100 and your contribution will help us keep the podcast coming every week in 2016. If you have ideas for future podcast topics or want to give us feedbacks or want to say something mean about Sam, you can email us at email at lawyerist.com. Take a minute to check out our practical and easy-to-use lawyering survival guides at lawyerist.com slash guides, including our new 30-minute WordPress setup guide and our four-step computer security upgrade. You can also just click on guides at the top of the site. Use the coupon code podcast at checkout to get a 50% discount on your order. If you've tried that before and it hasn't worked, please try again. I encountered a glitch that I fixed. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. You're more productive when you aren't interrupted, and Ruby can help with that. Ruby answers our phones, and we love being able to trust them to do a great job. You can visit callruby.com slash lawyerist to get a risk-free trial. So, Aaron, today is the last podcast of 2015. Our first full year of podcasting. Yeah, I guess we can call that season one. All right. Should we? I think we'll call it. Should next year's episodes be season two? I think so. We'll be like cereal. It'll be all cool. Yeah, but season two of Serial is like an utter failure. Let's not <laughs> let's not do that. I, I haven't even listened yet, so um, maybe let's, we'll set. let's just incrementally improve from this episode to next episode. Agreed. Okay. No no full scale relaunch. No, I guess not. So thank you so much for listening to season one, um, or whatever we're calling it. Um, it's been really fun and interesting, and we've learned a ton from doing it and from our guests and. Uh, had some great conversations and I really enjoyed it. So I hope you'll keep on listening in 2016. Absolutely. And seriously, if you do have ideas for how we can improve it, even if they're nitpicky, shoot us an email at email at lawyerist.com and we'll see if we can make it incrementally better. Maybe we'll even call you and have you on the show. No. We might though. Maybe. (laughs) But no. (laughs) But maybe. (laughs) So thanks for listening. And here's my conversation with Karin. I'm Karen Conroy, and I am the founder and creative director of Conroy Consults. We design and develop award-winning custom websites and branding for law firms. You are also our first returning podcast guest. Oh, that's quite an honor. Yes. So thank you for coming back. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't scare you away the first time, huh? (laughs) No, no. I got a ton of good feedback from that. Well, and so your last podcast was uh, a five-step basic law firm marketing plan. Yeah. Um, but today, I'm kind of excited because it's the the years turning around, which means we are or will be, depending on when this podcast goes live, launching our 2016 Best Websites Contest. And um, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what are the low-hanging fruit 
recommendations that we can give people for how to improve their website, keeping in mind that a lot of lawyers are doing their own website. Yeah, I think that's um, it's a big deal. I think people just kind of look around to a lot of other websites and take a look and, oh, that one's nice and I like the shade of green, so let's just go with something like that. And they don't really put together a plan and think about you know, some of these critical things that you really kind of have to have to make it work. Well, and I think a lot of lawyers, just like a lot of people, are kind of design blind. They don't they don't notice all yeah. those little things that make a difference, but that I guess you just have to be know what to look for or you have to be really hypersensitive to it. Yeah, agree, I agree. I'm not, a, I'm not a design expert. I think I'm just hypersensitive to a lot of those things. Well, and um, I have a lot <laughs> of clients who say, use those words exactly. I am not a designer and I don't have any background in art, they usually say, and that kind of intimidates them. And you don't need to. You just kind of need to know what you like and what looks good and have a sense for what you don't like and, you know, kind of start just organizing your thoughts on all of that stuff. And stare at it a lot. Right. Exactly. I stare at my websites a lot. And then read all of these, <laughs> read all of these articles about what you're doing wrong. <laughs> so, so, and, and I guess maybe I should start out by saying that, you know, we've got a lot of posts about design, a lot of them written by you on our, on our website. Um, yeah. And we have a free white paper uh, that is, uh, Oh, now I've forgotten the name of it. It's, it's 10 things the best websites have in common. Exactly. Uh, we've gone back through our, thank you. We've You're gone welcome. back through our uh, web design contest over the years. Uh, and we've tried to sort of extrapolate what makes the best websites for now, right? I mean, right. The design standards are going to change. Ideas are going to change. But but we think these are kind of the best, pr best practices now. Yeah. And these are pretty, I mean, there's maybe one or two things in here that I could see changing definitely. But... Most of them are pretty standard kind of classic ideas. And we have left out search engine optimization. Every year we do our contest and all the SEO consultants show up and start whining about how we haven't done website audits and how the websites are not, you know, SEO-y enough. And, and I have a couple of responses to that. One is it's a web design contest. <laughs> um, <laughs> two, it's that there's no generally accepted like standard of SEO because it might be, we might have a really well optimized website, but we have no way of telling whether or not it actually performs or the things that it's optimized for are the right things. And so it's just impractical to try and yeah, do that. So. I would add one thing, one third kind of sub point to that is that the measurement of performance for one firm versus another is going to be completely different. Totally. So a lot of firms that come to me are not looking, they're not personal injury firms and they're not looking to rank on Google. They're looking to have something that supports their reputation, is more of a branding exercise, makes them look really good and gets them clients based on the way that they make their clients feel. And so if that makes the client call because they have great imagery and, and messaging, that's really hard to measure. And so, you know, those are the kind of things we're looking at. And we're not really measuring them in numbers as much as some of these other things we're going to talk about. Well, and one last thing about that is SEO gets people to your website. Right. Design is what gets them to your phone or your inbox. Converts them. Right. Um, yeah. You want you don't want to stop at just getting them to your website. You want to give them a website that helps them um, or hopefully persuades them to actually pick up the phone or fill out right. your contact form and then become a client. And so we're talking about that piece of it. Exactly. 
what, what happens once they land on your site that that makes them believe you and take some action? So let's kind of march through the 10 things and talk about okay. how uh, your your typical lawyer law firm can implement these either with the help of a web designer or on their own. Right. So number one is uh, value proposition. You need to get across why somebody might even want to hire you. Right. And in a lot of my posts, I call this the unique selling proposition or the unique selling point, or a lot of people call this a niche or, um, you know, a lot of this all just comes back to what makes you different. So what, um, what are you presenting to them that they can't get somewhere else? So I'm sure a lot of people watch Shark Tank and that's what they're asking them all the time. You know, why, Mm -hmm. why should we invest in your business? Because, you know, what, what can you do that some other person couldn't come along and just copy? Um, what makes you different? All, all of those same ideas. And it's possible that your answer is, well, nothing. I'm totally generic. In which case, what? <laughs> In which case, <laughs> go be a bus driver. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> go back to the drawing. I mean, you, 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 have to come, you have to go back to the drawing board about why are you doing this and what are you hoping to accomplish and what are you giving your clients? Yeah, you have to be different somehow. I mean, even if it's just, even if it's your approach, even if it's how you're going to run your firm, even if it's um, your geographic area, even if you don't have any experience and you just really care deeply about some certain topic and it's your story about why why you care deep, deeply about that, that's different than somebody who doesn't care about that topic. So there right. has to be some reason. And this should be um, this should be something that is um, short and to the point, right? Yeah. Like we're not talking about a paragraph. We're talking about a phrase or a sentence, at right. most a sentence, and probably without a whole lot of commas and things in there. <laughs> right. <laughs> not a lot of sub points and bullets. and Right. Yeah, it should be shorter really then your elevator pitch, but kind of along those lines. And we're not talking about this as a like, you just need to paste this on your website somewhere, which is true, but it, it sort of guides the way you, what you do with your website, right? You should have an yeah. idea. Um, you know, my old website, I, I used to, um, it was a stick it to the man was kind of my value, value proposition is I'm going to help you stick it to the man. I'm going to help you get money from evil debt collectors. And so I designed my website to look more like a, sort of a punk rock, a uh, concert poster than a law firm website. And right. um, I got a lot of positive feedback about that. People constantly said they hired me because they thought I, I was going to help them stick to the man, which was awesome right. because it didn't say that on my website. Yeah, nice. um, <laughs> but but I, so I think it kind of, it can guide your approach to your website, right? Yeah, abs- it, it, guide, it should guide everything. It should guide your design. It should guide your approach to the way that you you know, whether or not you're going to hire certain kinds of people. I mean, if you're, um, your front desk person, you know, if you are going to take an approach kind of edgy like that and the person that you hire, f- that's going to be your front facing, you know, first impression person is very corporate and would never say phrases that would align with the idea of sticking it to the man. That's not the right person to hire. So every right. part of that would, um, line up in, in there versus if, you know, I talked to somebody today that they do super high end corporate work and they would not have a site that looked anything like yours. And that right. would, wouldn't appeal to their potential clients and none of that messaging would work. So, you know, this is going to drive everything from, you know, this is kind of step number one for all of your stuff. Step two, responsive design. I, 
I remember yeah. when responsive design first was a buzzword that came out and there were mobile websites and all this business. And it it's gone from being, hey, nice thing to have to... Required. You, yeah, I mean, and so yeah. here's the way I usually tell people is, so so let's say you believe that your website is not going to be a main source of business, that all, most of your business is going to come in through person-to-person networking. So imagine one of your referral sources is out having a drink or coffee with somebody who knows you and they're looking to network with you or they're looking to uh, to hire a lawyer and and you get a referral. The first thing that person's going to do, whether right there at the table or soon after, is pull their phone out of their pocket and look right. you up. Yep. On their phone. Not on their desktop computer. They might do that too, <laughs> but they're probably going to look you up on their phone. Right. What Do you know what percentage of uh, web browsers are on phones now it's um tipping the scale where it's the majority is now mobile and i know it's over 50 percent. yeah exactly but let's back up quick and because i get a the question all the time of um is this mobile friendly it's usually that's usually the phrase that Mm -hmm. less tech savvy people are using and i say you know so there's a difference between mobile friendly and responsive um and responsive is better so that's mm-hmm. the quick answer. And mobile friendly is probably almost every site, you know, for the most part, unless it's got Flash or, you know, most other sites are going to be mobile friendly, which all that means is that you can see it on a, on a phone or a tablet. Um, responsive, the way it actually works and just a really brief attempt at not not being too technical, but you kind of picture your your layout as a whole bunch of boxes. And depending on the size of your screen, those boxes are going to move around. So if you have a nice wide laptop or, you know, desktop computer, the boxes are going to probably lay out a lot wider and kind of fill in the space, you know, appropriately for that screen. And then as you move to a mobile device, the boxes are going to probably jump underneath each other because that's just the way that you're going to be able to read it best. But, um, it's, it's different than just being mobile friendly where you can actually see the site on a, on a phone. It actually mm-hmm. means that things are moving around and functioning better because of the size of the screen that you're viewing it on. If you want to see an example, you can actually just go to Lawyerist and uh, do it on your desktop computer or your laptop and uh, maximize the screen and then uh, go over and drag from the, the, the far right or on Windows, you know, make, make the window big and then go over to the, to the right-hand side and just drag it over so that the screen is as narrow as possible and watch what happens to the page as you do that. The boxes will change, um, font sizes are going to adjust, uh, and it's going to become something that will look just fine on your phone. Or in the in-between, it's going to look fine on your tablet. And that's responsive versus mobile, which just gives you a different website on a phone, which is not awesome. Right. And that's just, it's kind of a non-starter now. You you ha- you must have a responsive website. It's its not even an issue. Right. And it has, and you have to also be considering mobile. So in addition to it being responsive, you have to think about features that are slightly different on a mobile design. You want your phone number to be plain text so that people, uh, you know how on websites when you click on a phone number and it just immediately yep. calls, if it's a picture, that's not going to work. So a big button might be a good idea though. Yeah, but, you know, plain old text is always just so much cleaner and safer. Mm-hmm. Um, so little things like that. So, you know, with the whole uh, point number two of responsive design, I'd put um, in parentheses, just also just always be considering mobile. 
or or different screen sizes, I guess. Right, like your your contact form is what you're saying. People people aren't going to want to type out a long description right. of their legal problem. Right. They're probably just going to want to click a button and call you or click a phone number and call you. Right, right. And don't have, you know, 14 different boxes for your uh, contact form that are all required. Um, you know, that's just that's just a huge barrier to somebody getting in touch with you. So make your websites responsive. Not a, shouldn't be an issue. Um, and yep. if it isn't already, get with it. Um, three is striking images. We need um, and and let's start with which ones people should not use. <laughs> so probably the ones you've seen the most common. If you um, go to search for images on your website and you're using generic terms, number one, like search terms like lawyer or um, law firm skip the first couple pages of results. So it shouldn't be scales of justice. It shouldn't be gavels. It shouldn't be columns, law books, or generic people like with a headset on, or generic people in general. I mean, if the people in your picture look like models or stock, that's hmm. a huge turnoff. If people can immediately look in the picture and tell that if they're not legit and they're not somebody that's actually in your firm. There was an article I wrote a couple of years ago where that's a huge turnoff. It just makes it feel really fake and they don't trust you anymore. So you lose a lot of trust for that. I bet. Uh, what What if I get uh, somebody to take a professional picture of my team in yes. front of the courthouse? Uh, trick question. <laughs> that is a trick question. <laughs> if it has to be, if you're a trial lawyer, fine. You know, if you are a estate planning attorney and you go to court like once or twice a year, that's just silly. Um, but, you know, if if you are living 24-7 in that courthouse and it's kind of a cool, I mean, if they can, you know, I'd actually defer to saying that depends on the photographer. If they're cool and they can do some kind of interesting pictures, sure. But if they're going to just do generic, like, I'm leaning against a pole and I kind of look at like I might be in a J crew catalog. Hmm. No. <laughs> so what are so what are some better ideas? Outside, I usually tell people to try to just get natural light if you can, you know, if you're in Minnesota in the middle of the winter, then natural light's probably not so nice. <laughs> so right. um natural light if you can, just not so headshot looking, like somewhat natural. Um, I had a firm that recently had someone, the photographer show up at an event that they did. And so they had these great action shots of each of the attorneys talking to a group of people, kind of sort of like a cocktail hour type setting, but they, you can't tell that it's cocktail hour. It, it just looks mm. like they're talking to clients and it looks so natural. Um, and they're all in professional attire too. So I would add that. Um, and we're kind of, their professional portraits is, um, Item number 10. So we're kind we of mixing. Talk about it now. Yeah, Im we're images jumping are up images. To that. Yeah, exactly. And some of these other things kind of overlap a little bit. But, um, and I also think, you know, if you do get a photographer and you're going to all that, um, time and expense and everything, get pictures of your office. You never know what's going to turn out cool. I had another firm where they were taking pictures of them walking down this hall and they almost didn't send me the picture because they thought it was a mistake, but it was these cool kind of blurred motion things. And that was the end one we ended up using on the, on the front. Cause it just looks like, Hey, we're busy. You know, we're, we're walking. <laughs> you know, and actually, you know, while we're on the subject of images, uh, 
I have seen so so I recently posted a, a discussion asking uh, offering to give feedback on on law firm websites and about half of the ones I've looked at so far have a sort of a rotating image on the homepage. Yeah. How are we feeling about that these days? I'd say I'm seeing less and less of it. Um mainly because it's kind of hard to find a set of good images that all work together. It's mm-hmm. not super mobile friendly. I mean, it's okay. It's fine. But it does take longer to load. And so um, a lot of firms are finding one really awesome picture and then just going with that. Because number one, it's cheaper, easier. And then you don't have to try to, you know, find other w- images to, to mix in. Usually when I see that happen more often is if they have a bunch of practice areas or especially if their practice areas are different and or conflicting. So if they mm-hmm. have things that they really can't explain in just one picture. Um, so then they'll kind of have the, that's the easiest solution to that. You know, uh, uh, I listened to a sort of a workshop by our one of our local newspapers. They redesigned their website and they were talking about stats. And they used to have um, one of those auto-rotating sliders on the front page um, with articles and they said something about of the people who are going to click on one of those links, 90% of them click on the first image in the slideshow. So almost nobody clicks on anything other than the one they see when they land on the site. Hmm. So, you know, if, if you're trying to feature a variety of practice areas, it's probably not an effective way to do it. Yeah. Um, because even if you randomize it, if somebody's coming there for a practice area that they don't see right off the bat, there's yeah. a 90% chance they're not going to see it. Right. Right. Um, so I think there are probably better ways to solve that problem, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Just have like a main image and then s- some, like I've seen where they have kind of sub um, right underneath the header, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Um, it is hard though, if you have a lot of different practice areas, big firms have this problem, obviously. Yeah. And yeah. I, one of the ways that I've seen them do it is they forget about um, trying to sell a practice area or feature a practice area on the homepage. They feature the lawyers or right. they feature um, a philosophy of representation. Or, yeah. I was going to um, say, go back like up that. to that value proposition. Just exactly. they feature their big message. Um, but yeah, that goes into the next thing, which is the hero homepage lay- layout. And that, um, is also just the one big idea thing. Which yeah, t- so tell us what the Hero Homepage layout is. So this is what everybody has seen a lot of lately, and it looks really awesome on mobile and tablets, and it looks great on um, desktop too, but sometimes, you know, not as nice. Um, anyway, it's where you land, and it's one giant picture that goes all the way edge to edge on your uh, browser, um, top to bottom, edge to edge, and then there's one big message right in the middle with a button. So it's just... Well, it's just a a short message, but a big one. Right. One big concept, Mm -hmm. but usually one or maybe two brief, brief lines. Like, you know, maybe less than 10 words for sure. With a call to action, like a button uh, form. Yeah. I I I think Evernote uh, has one of the best hero homepage layouts uh, and Apple, obviously. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's everywhere right now. It's uh, very simple, but the key is, um, well, one of the main keys, the two keys. <laughs> the two keys are a genius image and a genius message. So you can't, um, you can't spend too much time on either one of those. So finding a great image, you know, once again, you're not going to find it on the first page of your search results. You're going to need to, you know, keep looking and find something that um, 
wear the colors and and, and maybe make it yourself maybe or maybe have it be your photographer is you know take some really unique thing but it has to be unique Mm -hmm. it cannot be you know just columns or law books um and because it's just going to look so generic and uh and then you have to have some message that that ties in that image and um and also your value prop- proposition. So all of these ideas keep, you know, overlapping and coming back to each other. Um, and then a call to action, which is another idea that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But well, let's talk. Let's talk about it now because it is pretty central to the yeah. Euro homepage. And um, and of the of the people who've asked me to give them feedback on their websites, this one keeps coming up. Right. Um, the call to action is a concept that is really central to any kind of web design where you're trying to sell something, whether it's legal services or computers. And uh, and it's something that seems to just not be happening. Right. So well, what is it? So in the old days of HTML sites, they um, used to be kind of called brochure sites because it was almost like somebody handed you a little trifold brochure and that was what the site was. It was just kind of here. here's kind of the stuff that I do. Goodbye. Some information. <laughs> yeah, and then walk. You know, imagine yourself walking away after handing somebody that brochure, mm-hmm. and you know. So without a call to action, basically, I, I guess the most tame, lame um, call to action is your phone number, um, or I, I guess a contact form. But really, a call to action. You should have one call to action on any page, and you should have that figured out what you want them to do uh, first. So you either want them to click and read more about you or your specific practice area, or you want them to contact you. And the contact you could be, you know, a two-step call to action where like first they read more and go to your bio, but you're going to have some sense of, um, you know, even if you're a brand new firm, you have some sense of where you think people are going to go through your site. Um and maybe you're wrong and you'll figure this out over time and you'll see, okay, this is the path people want to take through my site. For example, on my site, people land on my site. They want to know how much it costs and then they want to see examples and then they may contact me. But that's, they're not going to contact me before they have seen the cost and seen examples. So I'm not going to bother trying to get them to contact me before they've done those things. Um, but maybe you are a personal injury attorney and you are doing some kind of truck accident or something and you know that they just want to contact you immediately. So then give them your phone number, have them, you know, that call to action be the first thing that they, they do. Usually that's not going to be the first thing. Usually they need to do step one, step two, and then contact you. So some calls to action I've seen, obviously the contact us is, is probably a default for many people. Right. Um, which is fine. I mean, if, if nothing else, if that's going to be your call to action, have one and have that be it. Yeah. Um, uh, depending on the type of law you do, your uh, there's a good chance that your bio page is more popular than your homepage. Right. Um, and that people want to see it before they contact you. So uh, you might want to make that your call to action. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you have a pretty well-defined process for doing what you do, um, you might want to have some sort of a download or a form be your call to action. And in those examples, the bio would be, the call to action to your bio would be something like, um, read about my experience. And yep. the bio for your, um, what was the second one you said? Oh, a form or a, con- a download. Then it would be like, get this free form or download or get started this- now. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen some larger firms do things like get to know our amazing attorneys. Yeah. um, And the call to action is actually just browse our directory um, or find out more about our practice areas. Um, I think it's worth playing around with them. And, and, um, but that's the center of the hero homepage is a striking image, um, a, a call to action in words, and then a button or or maybe a form that people can fill out right there, but probably a button that takes them to um, the next stage in the right. process of hiring you. Yeah, and then even the last example, I would say, like, if you are a criminal defense attorney, they are not going to usually ask their friends for, you know, referrals or information. So that would probably lead them into your pages about, um, your practice areas and your experience and, mm-hmm. you know, f- maybe some forms that they need and that kind of stuff where you're being helpful about whatever their issue is. Um, so it is highly dependent on um, your practice area and then also what kind of a firm you're running. And I, so one last time on the call to action, like you need one, like you're, yeah. you're <laughs> every page of your website should have a very clear call to action. Don't p- make people think, don't make them dig for it, have one. Right. So are we still doing clean design? Is that still a really important thing? Well, I don't really know what you meant by that. I think I, (laughs) (laughs) everybody says that. And it's like, you know. I know what I mean by it. Like Steve Jobs. Is that what you meant? Like Apple? No, I just mean like, I I, I like um, declutter. You know, like I I don't. Yes. You know, I, somebody, somebody showed me a website with a really textured background. And I felt like the textured background just really distracted from reading. You know, when I, a book, which I'm totally absorbed in is just black words on a white page or pulp, you know. So less is more. Yeah. It's the less is more idea of getting things out of the way, having lots of white space to make it easy to read. Yeah. um, That kind of stuff. White space is kind of an uncomfortable conversation for most lawyers because they just like to fill every, you know, every part of a page with a word or every part of a conversation with a sound. Um, so, but the idea of white space, usually how I describe it is if you look at luxury brands, they, it's always, you know, sometimes it's a whole page that's just a color and their logo, like Tiffany regularly will just have their Tiffany blue with their logo right in the middle. And it's like, look at how luxurious we are. We can pay for this whole ad and you know exactly what we are and we've got all this space and that just connotates like luxury and um, and the opposite of being cheap and the opposite mm-hmm. of being like, you know, over the top, filling every part of everything with, you know, some kind of a sales pitch. So um, along the idea of white space, when we get into typography, it's having having nice spacing in your in your fonts between your lines so that it's easier to read. Um, but it just looks so so much better when you have um, an, a lot of space around your things. You have one big idea. You're not trying to pitch them on, um, okay, if you don't want to buy that, how about this? Okay, maybe if you don't <laughs> want to, you know. So, um, I would and, say like most personal injury lawyers' websites are the opposite of clean design where right. you show up and they give you 10 seconds or five seconds to look at the website before they pop up a contact form or a chat window pops up right. or some weird video has somebody walking, walking in from out off of, the screen yeah, exactly. and it's, they <laughs> yeah. just, you just want to throw it out the window and shut down the noise. 
Right. And the idea of actually meeting with that person in an office couldn't be less appealing. And so you're trying to go for the opposite of that experience where they look at your site and it's like, oh, this is kind of a breath of fresh air. Like this is very calming, you know, depending on what your approach is. Maybe you want to be calming. Maybe you want to, um, you know, whatever. But um, you know, trying to not be obnoxious. And well, then it's partly it's respecting your visitor, right? I mean, right. They've, it's a safe bet that they arrived at your website hoping to learn more about you and what you do. Right. And so I think part of the idea is just to respect them and make it easy for them to sit and read and browse yeah. and find out more. Yeah. And the color scheme goes in with that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I usually say not more than three, but usually two colors can can do it. Um, and I prefer that at least one of those colors is a neutral. Gray, in my mind, is a neutral. So black with shades of gray and then one um, color for emphasis or, you know, some, some kind of a neutral and maybe two colors. But one of them should have a lot more strength than the others. Hmm. So that that's going to be your color that you use for emphasis. That's your color for your call to action. Your call to action should be a button. And it's a a color that you don't use for any other buttons on that page and it stands out. And you'll see this for sure. Apple does it for sure. Every good successful site, their call to action button is obvious. You don't have to wonder, wait, do I click on this one or that one? Right. Um, and my, my approach has always been because I'm colorblind um, <laughs> to just pick one color. Right. <laughs> so all my websites are black and white and gray and one color. Right. And then I and then I use mathematical gradations of that color for yeah. darker and lighter when I need to. Um, and that's been my approach. And so if you're not if you're not comfortable knowing what colors go with what, um, I think that picking one highlight color is actually a pretty safe bet. It is. Yeah. And the gradations read as different colors because it it has different emphasis. Black has a much different emphasis than gray. Mm-hmm. So using variations of the same color does read as though you've got different colors, but they automatically go together. I, I've actually uh, read that you should not use black on the web because screens can't actually display black because they're sh- throwing light at you. Right. And so you shouldn't even try and you should just go with a really, really dark gray instead of black. There's actually no black on Lawyerist. Um, because of that. It's like a charcoal. Yeah. And I I don't know. I don't know if that's right. Um, You're much more of a color person. So I'm curious what you think about that. Does that make any sense? I use black all the time. Um, But I think the the bottom line with any color is, especially when you're talking about the web, it's always going to look different on every screen. Mm -hmm. So um, people who have given me Pantone colors to use, and then they have concerns that it looks different on their phone and their tablet versus whatever colors will always look different because you can't um you can't color calibrate every single screen for everyone on the planet so basically when you're picking colors you have to just um try it on a few different screens recognize the difference and then go for the one that you know is the best possible option that you're okay with the most variation so certain colors so when you look at Tell me if I'm getting too... I can go talk about colors forever. But <laughs> no, no, this is good. <laughs> the darker the color, the stronger it is, obviously. But then, you know, depending on what it's contrasting with, um, makes a difference. But so as you get towards yellow, it's really weak. And mm. you're going to have the most variation. If you're using yellow on your website, when you go from a tablet to a phone, to you know, from one screen to the other... It's going to be, it can go from like a lemon yellow to almost an orangey yellow. Um, 
And I love yellow in certain um, cases. And I did one uh, branding for a firm that was like this nice yellow. And it looks great. But you just have to know that as you have those weaker colors, it's going to vary. Well, and, uh, you know, most designers tend to use Apple products, which are have really well calibrated monitors. Right. But, um, you know, many people are using cheap Android handsets. Many people are using cheap Windows PC desktop with cheap Windows de- displays. And and so, yeah, you just got to be comfortable with that. And that, I mean, I think that's true for every aspect of web design, right? Layout mm-hmm. can change. The, the right. li- you know, the, you may have a, a word dangling on one uh, browser that isn't dangling on another browser because exactly. the way they render fonts. You just kind of got to get over it. You do. And you, and you do want to test. And, you know, if it's anything really critical that's going to be, you know, a static uh, message or whatever, you want to make sure that it looks as good as you possibly can. But I had people asking me to test on a BlackBerry the other day. And I'm like, a what? <laughs> are those even out there anymore? <laughs> and, and, and of those that are out there, it actually might be lawyers who are using them. But. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I think we've kind of touched on typography. Yeah. Um, and actually, I you know, because I just did a podcast with Matthew Butterick, who is kind of like the king of typography, I I think I'm just going to refer people to that. If you, yeah. all all of the stuff that we said about um, typography for legal writing is pretty similar for on the web now, especially that screens are getting better quality. There's there's really no not much difference. So the one thing I usually end up mentioning, I'd say well over eighty percent of my clients is this having nice contrasting headings mm-hmm. that pull the user through whatever you're writing. Most lawyers just write paragraph after paragraph and they might have some great content, but after about two or three sentences, nobody's good everybody's gonna start scanning and they're not gonna read all that stuff. But Nobody read you, assume that people will not read your body text. Right. Unless you have a great headline that's especially either at, at the very least bold, but hopefully in a contrasting color that pulls them down to the next one and pulls them down to the next one. So that can make a big difference. Yeah, I guess when when it comes to writing for for um, for lawyerists for my my blog, um, I've always assumed that people aren't going to read the body of my posts. And so I try to write headings in a way that you can get the gist without reading the body. Yes. And then I worry a lot about the first sentence of each section mm-hmm. because. I'm not going to assume that people are even going to read the entire first paragraph. So right. for so for me, it's headings, first sentence, first paragraph. That's where I put my emphasis. And if you're going to have more paragraphs, go wild. Um, but those but headings might be the only thing people read, and so you want to give them the information in the heading if you can. Is my has been my approach anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. I've you know read a bunch of eye tracking studies that verify that stuff, and I also try to suggest, especially in bios, to use bullets because. It works well for a bio, and um, people are more likely to read a bulleted list just mm-hmm. because it's more organized. And, and you can you know, scan it. Yeah. So um, that's all I'll say about typography. So I'm going to skip um, the piece on bold colors because we've already talked we a bit talk, about yeah. colors. Um, and so I think the only one left is uh, you put two question marks by it, which is single page <laughs> navigation. And I'm, I'm totally cool with those question marks because I think I know that it's not something that I'm comfortable saying everybody must do. Yeah. And that's exactly, I read, I read your, I did read this part of, um, the, the guide and there, there is a kind of a, um, disclaimer section that says it's not, it's not ideal. And there is some debate about this. And that's basically my same approach where the single page, um, and, and I read We should say, so there's a trend toward, putting a lot of information on one page of your website with the idea that 
people are more likely to scroll than to click to a different page. Right. And so if you put give them one long page with your pricing information, your bio information, your contact form, all of that stuff, and your nav buttons just scroll people up and down the page, um, and you put all of the essential information on one page, um, that might be more effective than forcing people to click all around your website to get that same information. That's the idea. And I read this wrong. At at first, I thought it said single page layout, which I do have, I have done that for some people where the entire website is one long page. Um, And that is great for some people, but it's just, this says actually single page navigation, which is different, which to me and in your description talks about, you know, the way I describe it is usually you have all these different sections of the site and you have them all on the homepage with a brief kind of introduction that pulls you into that section um, to read more. And so you have sort of inner pages, which is similar to what layouts used to be. But the difference here is it's a longer scrolling single page that where each of those ideas is usually underneath each other in kind of a banded section. Right. And, and I, I think that if, if I were redoing my website right now and I had a pretty focused practice area or a really strong, unique selling proposition, value proposition, I think I probably would default to a single page structure with, with landing pages for my practice areas and, yeah. and, and, you know, for people who want to go deeper on things. Right. But I think I would default to a long front page where people can get sort of the one page... Um, you know, summary of my firm, my practice area without having to click anywhere. I I like that structure. I don't think it's essential, but I think it's a really effective way to do it. Yeah. And a lot of people like it. It's great for mobile. um, And it it looks really nice. And you kind of get one idea at a time. And then whatever idea matters most to you, you can click and read more. Um, The people who I have talked to who don't like it as much are usually a little more old school and they want something that looks, they think it looks too weird or different or, you know, artsy or something. Um, and they probably haven't spent as much time on the internet as you and I. <laughs> <So> <laughs> they're probably a little older <laughs> is what I'm saying. Gotcha. <laughs> so, um, well, and, and yeah, being old school on the internet is not necessarily a good thing. So, no. Um, no. Because your your clients and customers probably aren't. Exactly. So if you had to pick like, if you had to try and condense into one thing, like what what's the one thing that you see lawyers doing that you just wish you could say, stop doing this and, and here's how to fix it? Uh, I always come back to images. I mean, it's it's the most, it's the first thing people notice for sure, way before your message. And it's the thing that really gets them in their gut in certain parts of their brain that you just can't really describe um, in words. Um, And if your images are junk and super stock looking, you can't recover from that. So all of these other things, as important as they are, if you have kind of a mediocre, um, if you don't have clean design, but you've got great images or, you know, if you've got some of these other things that are kind of mediocre, you might be able to recover. But images... I don't think you can recover from bad images. I, th- I think especially um, you need a good portrait. I mean, people come to yes. people want to see you. Yeah. And if it's tiny or if it's bad, if it's old, 
I, I just met a lawyer today and looked uh, her up on LinkedIn and I was like, wow, she really likes how she looked 20 years ago. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> or if it's the picture that's like their their Facebook profile where you can kind of see half of another head in, you know, over on the side. Yeah. Like, Go get just even if it's not a professional photographer, even if it's your spouse and you go outside and you know, I've even used iPhone pictures. In right, we're all carrying cameras around all the time. How is it that you can't take a hundred shots of yourself in a suit on a nice day? Exactly, exactly. You can. So you know, figure it out and get get your own picture because you know, I I never meet any of my clients, but when I see their pictures, I feel like and and I talk to them on the phone. I feel like I know them, and I feel like I could pick them out of a crowd and whatever. But when they have crappy pictures or don't use a picture. I've had that happen a few times. It's really bad. I feel like there's this huge disconnect between us. I don't really feel like I am understanding who they are as much. It really matters. It really matters that people feel like they are getting to know you by looking at that picture. Karen, thank you so much for being on our podcast again, and I'm sure we'll have yeah, you back welcome. another time. Great. Um, you can read Karen's posts on Lawyerist, and you can look at her web stuff on at ConroyConsults.com. See your portfolio. It's cool. Um, and if we've persuaded you that uh, you need to upgrade your website and you just don't feel great about doing it yourself, go to Lawyerist.com slash sites. And you can fill out a form there, and Aaron will, uh, Aaron Street, my, my co-founder, will take a look at it and make a personal recommendation to someone who suits your needs and budget and can get you a beautiful website that, that is going to work for you. Karin, thanks again. You're welcome. This podcast is sponsored by Ruby Receptionists. Now, Ruby is a sponsor, but I was also a paying customer. Ruby answered the phones for my law firm, so I know what I'm talking about when I say you really should give Ruby a try. And you should. Callers regularly told me how nice my receptionist was. Ruby made it easy for me to make my clients feel well cared for when they called. But what really made Ruby stand out for me was the way they treated me. If you've heard me talk about Ruby before, you've probably heard this story already, but when my first daughter was born, I pulled up the Ruby app on my phone on the way to the hospital and updated my status so Ruby would know to hold my calls for 48 hours because I was going to be in the hospital for the birth of my first child. And then a few days later, when I checked in at my office, there was a little care package with a really nice onesie and a rattle and a bib and a couple of other things. And I was just so touched by that, obviously, because I'm still telling the story and now my daughter is six. But the point is that Ruby knows how to take care of people, both you and your callers. And I'm confident you will be just as happy with Ruby as I still am, because Ruby is still answering the phones now at Lawyerist. So you should give Ruby a try. And to do that, you just need to go to callruby.com slash lawyerist and sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. And if you aren't happy for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks with Ruby. I'm pretty sure you will stick around, though. But since there's no risk, you might as well try. To make sure you catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to The Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening.